We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. What's going on, good people? What's up, Ray? You on, brother? You live out here in these streets. <laughs> Black Hands Podcast. Uh, we're at episode 60. Man, 60, fellas. The big that six zero. Man, how y'all feeling? Starting with you, Reef. How you doing? That feels really good. That feels 60. You know, it's a beautiful day outside on the East Coast. Sun was shining all day. No rain, no clouds. And, um... You know, just trying to maintain throughout this uh the madness that's Rodner. <laughs> I feel it. Charles, what's going on, man? What's going on, man? Uh I'm good. Uh it's been a busy, busy week. This weekend was kind of busy, man, but I'm I'm happy to be on the pod. Uh this is this is this is where I get to kind of relax and, and get some of that tension off. So I'm I'm with it. Yeah, that's dope. Chris, what about you? Man, I just like because I don't travel as much anymore. I find myself like horizontal more often than than I have been in a lot of times. Today was a restful day. So it feels good to be here. 60. I'm rested, relaxed. Got all the ambiance behind me. Look at it. Look at it. See, <laughs> See what y'all know about that. Y'all little young, young bucks don't know nothing about that. I was like, is that is I'm like, are those real candles? Cause that's books. So I don't know if uh that's paper back there. You got kindling on candles, but okay. Wow. <laughs> they're, ele- they're electric candles. Got yeah. right? I was wondering. Yeah, they're electric candles. <laughs> All I need now is the Barry White. Pop it out. <laughs> Barry White. I'm going to see what That's I can right. see. Secret Garden. Maybe we'll get you some Barry That's White. That's right. <laughs> he said Secret <laughs> Garden. <laughs> well, don't, don't, don't throw in the Barry White on this uh, one, uh, Ray. It'll, 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 it, they'll mute us on Facebook for the replay. So That's true. Uh, yeah, wow. Yeah, right. YouTube. I, I, yo, I've noticed yeah. that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's good. To yeah. Know. So, 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 right. so, yeah. So, my copyright stuff is that yes, what they sir. do, or just yeah? Okay. yeah. All right. Yes, so, it's teacher, it's teacher Appreciation Week, and uh, usually on this show we give teachers a lot of help, but this week right here, it's free and clear. We appreciate teachers this week. Reef, what you got? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I appreciate teachers, and I'm sure you all do every week. <laughs> this is just a week for us to verbalize it even more. Um, I love highly effective teachers. I love teachers with the right mindset and, you know, may their, you know, may their uh, influence never end when they're doing the right way. And so just a deeply appreciative of all the great teachers that I had personally, as well as the ones that I hired uh, personally over the years. I feel it. Chris, what about you? I mean, I love it when I meet teachers who have kids in their classrooms that are learning. Um, so I love teachers. If you're a teacher and you're watching this and you have kids in your classroom that are making a year or more's worth of growth, I love you. I think you're amazing. Uh, that's the only qualifier I have on the week. It should be called teacher high performing teacher week. I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh my god. Uh, getting Joe. something done teacher week, you know. But, but keep in mind, like, you know, you may be a brand new teacher with a lot of potential, you may not be effective yet. Do you right. want a surgeon with a lot of potential? I, 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 let's let's go into surgery. Do you want a surgeon? Do you want a surgeon that's got a lot of potential? <laughs> Listen, that's why I believe in teacher residency so that they can, yeah. you know, spend a year with a master teacher and things like that. But most that's of the true. time, that's not they're not set up for that. I Those guarantee either, none of y'all would go to a barber that had potential. You know when y'all oh, don't do this? You know, see I'm what I'm saying? I'm going to tell y'all when y'all don't do this. You know when y'all don't do this? Y'all don't well, do this I don't see Friday. barbers that much. Since. Y'all don't huh? do this on Friday. What would you what? say? How about on Friday? No, we don't you know what? <laughs> you, know, you, know you know the funny thing is, right? It's like you either too loud or you too like low. Like you sounded like we just, we heard you say Friday, but say, say your piece again, brother, so we can all hear you. I said, you know what? They don't do this on Fridays. Hmm. What, what well, happens Fridays, on Friday? We're, we're, we're in a learning good. mode. We're trying to teach on Fridays. Oh, y'all right? got potential? Is that what y'all saying? <laughs> no, no, no. We're teaching. <laughs> we're actually teaching. You come away having learned something so, so on Fridays. What's your take on, on, on uh, teacher appreciation? We can, let's get I away from this. Uh, it's cool. It's a dope week. Congratulations. Y'all mm-hmm. should get some love. Mm-hmm. That's where yeah. you're at. Yeah, I don't have nothing. Sp- I mean, yeah. It's, 
Yeah. If you know what would have been, you, you know what been it's your week. You know what would have been super dope is that what? in each of those drops that y'all just dropped, y'all had mailed them, emailed them to me, like I asked you to do. And then that could have been the intro. We wouldn't even have to <laughs> talk about this. But whatever. My anyway. apologies, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I said sorry. It's, can we can we so move on now? What, 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 school <laughs> what school districts do y'all teach in? Light us up in the comments so we can shout your school out. All right. Um and again, uh, welcome to episode 60. Today, we're going to talk about student homelessness in the age of COVID-19. Now, this is a, a very important episode for us because, you know, we have some folks that have lived experiences with being homeless. But before we jump into the show, uh, if you could hit your share button, if you could possibly do a uh, watch party or any of those things to help us get this word out, we would greatly appreciate it. All right. I'm putting up the to share. You can be so kind to share this and then hit, the button button the, hit done in the comments or whatever before we kick it off. Yeah, you got the robot voice, man. Uh, I know that you lined up a special uh, a special guest for us, uh, Ray. So would you like for me to bring that good brother in real quick? I would love for you to bring him in. That's what's up, man. Uh, let's 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 do that the right way and give him his space. Demetrius Ball, a member of the Eight Black Hand Patreon, and I want to take this time to wish all the teachers nationwide a happy Teacher Appreciation Week. You do an amazing job. Thank you. There you go. That's yeah. dope. Uh, oh man, these Patreon Black Hands Patreon members in the house. What mm-hmm. man? These Patreon, yo, the Patreon life is real, man. Charles, talk about yo. Sum up your uh, your book club. Yeah, man. So we we're on chapter three right now, and right now this is we we chapter last chapter two and chapter three has been very emotional for the for the for the group, and like we cut the last we cut Saturday's meeting in half, so we can. Mm-hmm. Start the first half with the first half of that chapter, and basically in education of blacks in the South, it's uh, it's really honest, man. And it talks about um, like the racism and, and the the level of thought that went into building this system, and how and, and the reason why it's so broken. And uh, and then the second half talks about pretty much the showdown between Dubois and uh, Booker T. Washington. So we wanted to give that the air that it needed, but that group is amazing. Uh, I think that they mm. get a lot out of it and it's just an emotional uh, group. So if you want to be a part of that, you got to be a patron, uh, but we have a good time every Saturday. Yeah. That's what's up. Mm. Yeah, right. It's like an ongoing college course discussion and it's, it's great to have, you know, these educators, uh, you know, both in, inside the classroom and outside parents, you know, school district folks, you know, uh, educators who are who are wrestling with some issues and and diving deep into into a history, history of black education, history of America, not just black folks, but history of America. Mm-hmm. And Toya said very emotional. Uh, she's one of the folks in our group. Uh, Miss Johnson is in our group. And uh, it was a. Uh, yeah, it, it wasn't. And one of the things that people learned in this is that there it wasn't the, the issue of racism wasn't the issue. It wasn't like the North was like anti-racist and the South was racist. It was mm-hmm. no, no. Have clear. you think that though? Mm-hmm. Everybody was racist. Like everybody mm-hmm. was very clear in their thinking and execution that black folks was inferior. And it was like the ways in which they should be inferior. The South wanted them to uh, be illiterate so they can just have cheap labor because they didn't want to have to go beyond the United States for globalism. And the North was saying, oh, but we can use education to make them better citizens uh, and only teach them how to be better workers. So uh, it was it was it was it was good. And Miss Toya said that I read her. I didn't know such thing. I told her. <laughs> Yo, don't be reading you, our, our old about silly parents, bro. Let me bro. tell you. Like, wait, listen. I'm, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what happened. Now, y'all, all of y'all are going to. We'll have it 215 up. I'm going to tell you and you're going to agree with me. What was happening was every time Miss Toya was given a, 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 a comment, she was punching herself in the face and saying, well, I don't have the education. I don't have this. And what we told her was, you got six grandbabies. You have raised a bunch of black children. You actually are valid. So don't put don't place mm-hmm. other people's opinion over yours uh, when you live this. It shouldn't yeah. you shouldn't have to have a bunch of degrees to actually understand how people want to educate kids. So that's what that I 100 uh, agree with you. Yeah. Mama Koya, you listen, you are an influencer 
in schools, in the community, and and don't sell yourself uh, short. Like we, everyone around you, everyone that I know that knows you respects your your intellect, your drive, your passion, and your commitment to Black children. Hmm. That's what's up? So, right, so let's transition this. Let's kick this off, yeah. Because uh, I'm sorry that we got sidetracked, but uh, I know what the people came for today. So for some of us, this issue of homelessness hits home. Who, Charles, what are you doing? What, I'm, what are you talking about what I'm doing? He's hustling. He's hustling. Yeah, man, brother, go ahead. Go ahead, sir. So we, are, we are honoring the comments of these people, brother. Okay, but if you... Go ahead, brother. For some of us, the issue of homelessness hits home due to lived experiences. Does anyone want to share about their connectedness? You got to learn how to roll, brother, with the punches, fam. I don't. Only, only you know. Yeah, anyway. So, <laughs> but I do. It does hit home for me personally. Um, and I, I think it might have for some of you all as well. But, um, you know, I, I, I grew up homeless. I lived in, like I said, I lived in four shelters. And I think what a lot of people don't understand is that, you know, homelessness is almost like snow. If you don't live in a region where it snows, you just know snow is snow. But if you live in a place where it snows a lot, you know, there's different types of snow. There's flurries. That's different from if, if snow is sticking or whatever the case is. So the same is true with homelessness. So first off, there is chronic homelessness. And that's just you've been homeless uh, more than four times in like a year. You are like. Your, your current state is normally at that of being homeless. Uh, episodic homelessness is where you might be homeless in stints. Uh, so that's three times or less within a year. Transitional homelessness, um, and Chris has talked about this in his own experience before, is when like a major life event has happened or somebody lost their job and you got to, you know, couch surf or you got to be where you got to be for a little bit. And then hidden homelessness is the most common the most common one is where you don't, it's not reported, but it's couch surfing and you don't really have a place to stay. Uh, my homelessness uh, went in between chronic and episodic. And so, uh, you know, there were almost four years where I was in school where I was living in shelters. And so um, for me, you know, what it did for me is it, it didn't allow me to really build roots in any school or any environment that I was because I always knew that I was going to leave. And um, it, it, it affects me now. Right. Like I, I, that's kind of how I move and operate now. Um, I don't I don't make friends very quickly or um, like I'm, I'm always paranoid about becoming homeless again. And so I, to, and, and this is not even hyperbole, I think about being homeless almost every day. I would say uh, the two things I think about chronically and almost mm -hmm. daily is homelessness and my grandmother who raised me, right? And I think about her almost daily because I don't want to forget her. Um, and I'll, I'll find myself like forgetting the feature. With the homelessness piece, it's, it's in there. Like I remember what it smells like. I remember the exact smell of what it smells like. I remember being in the Salvation Army and they were, and many of the people there were users, uh, heroin users. And I can still smell the bleach because they were teaching people how to bleach their needles because uh, it's the 90s, right? And, and, and this is when AIDS was becoming a lot bigger. So, you know, that, that experience has guided a lot of my decision-making. It is a large part of the neurosis that I have now it is uh, it, it doesn't allow me to wait or just depend on people. Like if if folks say they're going to do something, and I don't. And even if they are doing it, if I don't feel like they're doing it, I got to like jump in and do it. Um, it, it, it is something that I am, uh, you know, consistently concerned about. Right. Even with all the degrees, I feel like I can still be homeless at the end of this year for whatever reason. So um, that's that's a bit of my experience with it. Um, if there's any specific questions to follow up on. But I just want to paint a larger picture and also just educate folks on the different phases. Cool. Chris. Uh, you know, man, this is a tough one for me because I don't think anybody should be homeless. So it, it starts out from a premise that's real hard for me just because especially kids. But we know it goes down. We know it happens. We know they're just like uh, um, in any given city, there is a uh, active population of homeless students. Um, they are supposed to have the right when they go from school to school to school to, um, or when, I'm sorry, when shelter to shelter to shelter to stay in the same school, regardless of what type of uh, accommodations they need to make it happen, regardless of transportation. But it doesn't really always happen, you know, and we have a lot of kids that are falling through the cracks. Um, and, and, you know, here's, here's my addition to this, because you, you all have heard me say this before. I'm afraid right now that it, there's a need for 
a lot of homes to open. It's not just when we think about kids that are homeless, we think of, I think, one thing. But there are kids that are are have fragile homes are fragile places to stay. They're not technically homeless. There are some that are straight up homeless. There are some that, like Charles just said, situational homeless. But there are a lot of kids that are in need of us opening our homes. Right. Depending on whatever you call it it, to open our homes. I think with the current pandemic that we're in right now, with so many uh, female women breadwinners in households who are working in feminized low end occupations that are going to be getting the worst of treatments, um, no benefits. uh, There's the possibility that the foster system could be overrun, that the homeless system and social services can be overrun and that there will be a need for many black folks, many other folks, but many black folks to open their homes uh, for these kids. Brief thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, you know, a pervasive issue, no matter where you are. I know in Philadelphia, just the context that even the threat of becoming homeless, you know, so we get like 20,000 something families every year who get uh, eviction notices or uh, filings against them to uh, evict them. And, you know, we're right now in during this crisis, you know, all of that, you know, and not every state, but Pennsylvania is one of the the many states that uh, that have banned uh, evictions. But, you know, we know that, you know, this is an ongoing crisis, you know, uh, whether it's if you have a home, but, you know, half of Philadelphia are renters. Right. And so we used to see something, this phenomena where we had a feeder school and it was very few kids who were actually there from uh, kindergarten to sixth grade or pre-K to sixth grade. And when we looked into that, like, you know, what was going on? Because our school started at seventh grade. You know, sometimes landlords would raise rent as little as fifty dollars. And that would be such a, a burden, like what they call cost burden, where the, the cost uh, caused them to have to move. And so like those kind of things, not just the, the homelessness and the, the variances that that Cole described, but folks who are very close to that. Right. Um, one paycheck away or, or whatever. And so during this, uh, you know, during this time, I'm just, you know, constantly thinking about, you know, like what it needs with the support that's needed, the support that's needed inside the schools. And now we're in this distance learning, like how do social workers, how are they engaging? If they even have a social worker, mm-hmm. um, how are they in, engaging? And I, I've, I'm, I know I feel blessed that I've never, I was worked in three schools. I never did not have a social worker as a partner mm-hmm. in this. Um, and I know that's not the case for many, um, many educators. But I had to cut a teacher's position to add a social worker. But I thought it was uh, damn well worth it. Man. So right now, currently, there's more than 1.5 million students that are homeless or that mm. have been homeless at some point. And that data was from uh, 17, 18. But it's been on an upward trajectory uh Forever. So like right now, I'm approximating it to be at around 1.9 million students in 2021 that are going to be recognized as homeless. And a large increase of those students uh, is the L population. Uh, And the L population doesn't really get talked about a lot um, due to whatever reasons. But What's the L population? Yeah, what is that? English language learners. Oh, gotcha. Oh, yeah, gotcha. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I never heard it said that way. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I guess that's New York lingo. So English. Yeah, we say ELL. Learning yeah. for people around the country. Those are the, the folks that. um, And and so when I see it, I just, man, like my heart breaks because I know that, you know, growing up, I was in a similar position to where I was between houses and stuff and, you know, always scraping for food and, you know, all these other things and whatnot. And like, there's a certain level of trauma that that comes with that, man. It's like, and it's like, I'm, I'm resentful to a lot of folks in terms of like how I grew up, the way I grew up or whatever, because like I had family members that had money, but chose to, you know, spend money and on, on other people, other families that weren't their families and stuff. So like, you know, I'm real bitter behind uh, some of the things that occurred during my upbringing. But I tell you what, it's fueled me to, to look at, look for the things that I guess my teachers didn't look for when I was in school, because I know that I exhibited all of the signs that would have said that I was unkept or that things were happening that shouldn't have been happening at my house, but nobody recognized it. And I had to push mm. through, but you know, nobody should have to live like that. 
Yeah, I know we had a question. Demetrius was asking me, uh, how do I deal with that trauma? Um, so, I mean, therapy is a part of it. Um, I, I also, I, I, I work really, really hard. Uh, it, it brings me comfort. It, it just, it, even if it doesn't really change things as much, like I, I, it, it makes me feel like I have some type of power over that, right? And, and to not kind of get back into that place. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's still there. It's not, it's not going to go away. I mean, you know, if you get, they don't, everybody here don't drink or whatever, but I mean, this team could tell you, like it comes out, you know, that's just one part of a whole bunch of stuff, the the residue, what I call it, right? Like, and how that kind of comes out. But, you know, a lot of that stuff is fueled by that. You know, you, in those days, you learning how to, um, to just survive in your own way, right? And, and just because that's not the same situation doesn't mean that, that the way you rewire your brain doesn't just go back to normal. It's a process. And, uh, and so, I kind of don't know if I want that process to go all the way back to normal. Yeah, Chris? I was going to say, L. Michelle Johnson threw something in the mix that would be interesting for this group of <laughs> folks. She says, our, male, um, our, our American bootstrap mentality does not support the concept of homelessness as something that is a byproduct of our capitalism. Oh, that's one hundred percent true. I mean, Ooh, the Republican not- says that. Yeah, I mean, bro, wow. Oh, wow. Say more Republic. <laughs> Damn, you didn't just switch parties all of a sudden. I'm not, that doesn't mean that I switched any parties, but I, yeah. I do have a human side. I have a human side to. To looking at things uh, from 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 different kinds of perspectives, and so when I'm walking through New York City, when I'm walking when I'm walking through Penn Station, or when I'm walking through uh, LaGuardia or any airport or whatever, and I'm looking at folks that you know that, and I can't even say that they made bad decisions because anything could have happened in order for those folks to become homeless. Mm-hmm. But but, but like when this. you talk about homeless youth, yeah, is capitalism the thing that comes to mind first when you think about what actually? has broken down in a person's life to the fact where they are young and homeless. When a young person is homeless, that is a a failure of many things, right? Family, community, neighbors, like there's all kinds of social systems, clergy, church. There's all kinds of nets you have fallen through before you become completely homeless as a young person in the United States. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes a difference. Like I get the argument about capitalism, but I'm, I'm just trying to put it back on the fact that a lot of us are failing kids, right. All around us, like next door to us in some cases. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's always, uh, I mean, sure. We can have a discussion about capitalism. It's never been at the top of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and I was trying to figure that out. I mean, it's a, I mean, listen, Miss Johnson is, is, is just, she's amazing. And she has amazing insight. So I don't, have an issue with having that conversation, but I'm just being honest. It wasn't uh, uh, it wasn't something on the forefront of my mind or my family's mind or most of the people in that shelter. Right. It wasn't like, oh, shit, if only not for this capitalism. I would say when we're talking about youth homelessness, that can be a part of it. But there's a bunch of reasons. There's a lot of there's a lot of homeless kids that are part of the LGBT community. Is that mm-hmm. actually one of the highest percentages? Be, so yeah, mm-hmm. it's to be a huge, huge part. Um, there are. Um, uh, a lot of kids, especially like young boys uh, that has it out with their parents where they want to do their own thing. And the parents are like, well, you got to go. Um, that used to happen a lot more in the 90s and 80s and 70s than it probably does now. But it still does happen. Uh, I mean, there is a bunch of different reasons. It's not always just financial, especially when we're talking about with students. Um, it could be a litany of things. So um, if you look at certain things and I think uh, Seattle, that Seattle grunge movement and I know you were around for that, Chris, or like that San Francisco had that movement. I mean, I'm just saying, brother. Yeah. <laughs> you, uh, you old enough to remember Nirvana? Were you Nirvana? I mean, who is, who is Nirvana's youth? Like, like the youth that were listening to Nirvana. If you had to put a percentage on how many of them was probably San Francisco or or, or Seattle, like Runaways. It's mm-hmm. probably a pretty high percentage, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. so I mean, it's this is something that I've obsessed over, man. I've looked at numbers and stats and reasons. So I'm trying not to nerd out on it too much. That's why I knew the Nirvana thing, but but I, I do think it's a really important topic, and, and it's not something that we discuss enough, and we don't discuss uh, ways to actually equip schools to be able to deal with a young person that's dealing with that. Facts. Yeah. All right. So McKinney Vento protects the rights of homeless students. This usually comes with a small amount of funds. Are these funds still accessible during COVID times? If so, uh, what can they what can what what can they use to be spent on? Um, I mean, so we 
I mean, we have every school should have McKinney, McKinney Vento if they have homeless students. And so right now we and transitional have, students, right? Transitional. Yeah. So we, we have access. Can you to, read the definition? Just, just, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people here in McKinney Vento for the first time. I'm one of those people. Can you just give a general like overview of what that is before we do- dive into it? I don't want to leave nobody behind. Cause I'm like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Charles like leave nobody behind. <laughs> yeah. Me in, in particular. <laughs> Reef, you want to take this? Yeah, I mean, I can. I mean, it's basically, and I can't give you the the line by line definition, but it's basically a a we got clause. Cool. Yeah, it's basically a law where uh, if you're a school and a student is homeless or or transitional, meaning they're in between homes or things like that, that there's a safety net. The safety net is supposed to be tighter for that uh, for that child. So uh, when I was a principal, one of the things a social worker would do, like she would. Anybody who thought that a child was homeless, they had to make sure that they connected with Miss Gentry and Miss Gentry would make sure that they were reaching out like they one. You couldn't, as uh, Stuart said earlier, that child, even if they moved in their shelter with somewhere else or they're living with a some, uh, you know, a temporary home somewhere else that they had the right to stay in that in that school. Right. And so there's at least one level of stability. Uh, They would get free uh, transportation, you know, car fare to get to and from school. And so there were things like that to build a safety net that would not exist necessarily. Right. And so a lot of times schools would just say, oh, you don't live in this this uh, neighborhood. Oh, you're in a shelter. So what? You got to go to the school in this shelter's neighborhood. Uh, Those kind of things. So this was to stop that kind of thing just to provide some level of stability in a child's uh, life that may be just wholly chaotic. Yeah. yeah. And then one of the things to focus on on the McKinney-Vento law is just the transportation piece, because I know uh, out on Long Island, Long Island is, 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 is big when you think about it in terms of like radius. And so we'll have a kid that's like three towns, three, four towns over, but that has been um, designated as being homeless or McKinney-Vento. And then they have to bust that kid, even if it's 50 miles from where they are to our school. So to add that layer of stability for that kid, I think that, you know, that's amazing. Uh, and I and I, I love when we're able to, to see those kids that have fallen on hard times, but then, you know, to keep that consistency with them being in school, it's, 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 a, sight, it's a sight for sore eyes to be able to see that. But in terms of the funding, um, I mean, the funding is there uh, throughout this school year. We don't know how funding is going. Nobody knows how funding is going to look next year um, because I'm sure bu- budgets are going to tighten. Um, there's probably going to be layoffs. There's probably going to be a whole monstrosity of things that are going to occur with school budgets. Um, so I can't really speak to how budgets are going to be next year. But I know for us, um, we're going to invest to make sure that our our students that are experiencing homelessness uh, are protected and loved and featured. Um, but that's just what we do at, at, at our school. I know that every school district or every charter school is not, um, it's not able to do those things, but we, we're committed to, to those types of students to make sure that they have a way. Mm. I mean, you, you said, you know, you don't know how the budgets are going to be. I feel like we're, we still don't know what the fallout is in total. Right. Like we we would have to be guessing right now to think of like what it's going to be. Yeah. Um, what are the dropout numbers right now for students who are disconnected? What right. about those 15,000 in L.A. that haven't even been online once, you know, and in every city there's a, you know, tens of thousands. Yeah, I think it's higher than that. But yeah. Yeah. Just like like where are, where are the lost people going to be if you started January? two grade levels behind or three grade levels behind what's going to be your situation in 2021. Um, The economy, the situation like the, you know, service industry, working parents, right? Like what's going to happen with them and their children. There's just so much we don't know right now. Um, That is painful, right? Like it's scary to me how pain, like, like I feel like we've lulled a little bit. We've gotten into a lull a little bit, but we're not thinking as much. We're we're surviving for today, but we're not really thinking about what 2021 looks like to kids who are already messed up by the system in 2018, right? Like we're in 2019 right now, or 2020 right now. um, And the 2019 problems that we have are going to be worse next year than they are this year. That's, that's daunting to me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's tough, right? I mean, it's a tough conversation, right? Because, you know, I'm struggling between are we 
you know, we talk about this to inform folks so they just are knowing and are aware, or is it like, yo, here goes some actual solutions, right? Because, you know, people saying that they sad and they're going to pray for you and this, that, and the third, I think that's lovely, but it did nothing for my situation. Like, mm-hmm. it helped mm-hmm. not a damn thing, right? And I look at the world the way that I look at the world, right? Like, and it's just one of those things where it's like, yo, we pay a lot of lip service and stuff. So, I mean, I guess I would challenge us, right? You know, what are some solutions that you all feel um, that we can, you know, what even as a black hands, right? Like, what is something that we can do? Because I guarantee you, if you work in a school, you got homeless kids in that school that you, one, you don't know about. Because the vast majority of, uh, of homeless folks don't just go out announcing that they homeless or that they, mm-hmm. you know, or that things are happening, right? So it's like, how did you make your school a haven or a safe place to where you can be? So a solution for me was I had the boys club and the boys club allowed me right after school to be there until eight o'clock and I could play body. I did my homework. I play on the team and they, and they made me feel like family. And, 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 and I, and I didn't have to spend time at that shelter. When I went to that shelter, I just went there to go to sleep and then come back. Right. So, I mean, what are some other ways that we can help even alleviate? I, I, I prefer to have that conversation because again, we can, we some smart folks, you know what I'm saying? And everybody comment is smart, but it ain't changed nothing. And I'm not trying to be bleak. I just, it's taking me there. No, I mean, this is real. So, so I'm going to throw some tips out there. So if you're in a school, uh, if you're an educator in a school, here's some tips in order for you to identify students that may have come on hard times that may be homeless. Um, so your enrollment department, uh, if these kids are coming from multiple schools in the same year, then that probably uh, could be a, a red flag that um, homelessness is occurring. If a student in your school is exhibiting poor hygiene, that may also be a sign that um that, that homelessness is occurring. Uh, if you're starting to see social changes or behavioral changes all of a sudden, so a kid that was sweet as an angel and now all of a sudden this kid is acting up um, in ways that you've never seen, that may also be a sign. And then if a kid is like lethargic and lacking in participation in school, that may also be a sign. And for me, I think one of the tell signs for me personally was the fact that when I came in, I ate like I was like I was like I was getting ready for hibernation. So what I mean by that is, you know, I would have my white friends that didn't that were like that didn't drink milk. They would come and bring me their milks and I would drink at least three, four milks in order to get myself ready. Yeah to be hungry at night in order to come in for breakfast because those two squares, that, that was all that I was eating. I was eating breakfast at school because I was 100% free and um, and I was eating lunch. So I would make sure that I would eat a big breakfast and I would make sure that I would eat a big lunch in order to carry me over to the next morning. And then the weekends, man, I don't even I don't even know what the hell was happening on the weekends for me. But that's just some 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 tips for y'all that are that are in these schools that that have these homeless kids that you don't know anything about. Yeah. I mean, a lot of what you talk about, it goes back to relationships. We keep revisiting this, like the relationships that and the mindset that people have about other people's children is paramount. And, you know, if you have the relationship and I agree with Cole, a lot of folk, a lot of children because of the stigma may not say something, but if they have a trusted adult, then they're more likely to share that, Hey, I'm struggling or, you know, something's off or, the fact that you have a relationship, you may notice, even if they don't say anything and you can kind of pull them aside and make sure that they recognize they have safe space. All this is bringing me back to like before I became a teacher, I, I did a stint as a social worker. And I remember this one particular family that had a tremendous impact on me because I would I was there to uh, provide support. But I would end up helping this one child with their homework. And one of the reasons why I remember this family so much is because they uh, moved back. They were in a shelter and it was so uh, oppressive to them that they moved out and went back to the home that had been condemned. Right. And so, you know, they had the big sticker on there. They moved back. And so as a social worker, I still had to provide support for them. Uh, It was condemned like it had no foundation, like there was literally a tree growing out of the dirt in the living room. There was no floor. Um, and you know, many stairs are missing, you know, there no heat, all of that, uh, stuff. And this child was going to school and this was before. And I, I used to just wonder, um, like, whoa, and I got to reach out to the school. Like, do they understand? Are they providing support and things like that? And, you know, he, so the child was sometimes angry and would act out in school. And I was like, you know what? And so when I would have to engage with the educators, the, you know, it was almost like this callousness, like they didn't even 
have any idea of like what this child was going through. And I'm talking about an elementary school kid, not a high school kid. That you know, This is like a third or fourth grade boy uh, who was angry, who was upset, like th- that, you know, the condition of the of where he was living. And his, his mother moved them back in there to keep them together because they were going to separate them in the shelter because she had, you know, uh, I forget exactly what the issue was. So I just I just think about those kind of things so much. And he, he was not alone. There are thousands and thousands of children like them. And, and we have to have like this level of, of understanding of humanity uh, when we work in schools, when we choose to work in schools. And I, I don't believe that enough people have that the right mindset about about children. Mm. I mean, some yeah, of the, so oh, go ahead. My, my bad, Ray. Man, we got an amazing question that's in the comments. And go, go, go ahead, Charles. And then after, after you finish, we'll, we'll yeah, go ahead and load, load up that question while I make this comment. I, I would say, um, you know, one of the things too, though, right, is like it ain't necessarily your responsibility to also like play the guessing game of who's homeless and who's not and how you gonna call the people, right? If you just actually create a good environment uh, that makes your kids feel safe and are fed and are kind of taken care of and when they got hygiene issues, we got stuff there. I mean, that kind of helps out a lot. There are different types of shelters. There are some, there are the type of shelters where battered women go and you you can't talk about being in the, in the shelter. You can't talk about that location. It's just not something that you do, mm-hmm. right? So, so, you know, some of the stuff, I'm just, you know, I'm not saying this in a mean way. Some of the stuff ain't your business, right? But I, I think some of the points that we that 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 I wanted to make is if if the environment is conducive to what needs to happen socially and emotionally and academically, right? Then everybody would actually be somewhat taken care of in a better manner than what they are now, regardless if they're homeless or not. But what we're saying is. When you're whack ass school that ain't taking care of the social emotional needs of kids that have good houses, you exacerbate problems for motherfuckers that don't have a house. Did I get something wrong? No lies detected. No lies detected. I will say this about that point though, Charles. On one side, you want people being overly like nosy. I mean, do your job, but do you your know. job. But the, at the same time, you want people missing cues, right? Missing mm-hmm. signs that they should be trained to see, or right. ignoring cues that they do I, ignoring cues. Yeah, right. Like, like there's a whole range of things from drugs to homelessness to sex trafficking that Absolutely. you're supposed to you're supposed to know some of the cues about, right? And look for them and do something about them. So there's a balance to be made. Absolutely. I will say to throw a wrinkle in all this too. I mean, you've got school districts where the teachers are actually through their unions lobbying to not have to work right now and their articles are coming out at the same time saying that some of the homeless kids their one connection to services and to things was through the trusted adult they they had a teacher right so at this time i don't know what you, what your relationship was like if you were a teacher before all of this started but for some of the kids they had a good relationship with somebody that they can't find right now mm-hmm. right 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 I think that's a good point, man. I, 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 Chris, I think it's a good point. And like I said, like, they're, they're, here's the good thing about the education system, right? Uh, is that there's a protocol that you're supposed to follow when you think that there's some suspicious things happening or whatnot. And then we take that out your hands. You know what I mean? I was a social worker that would take those things out your hand. But what would happen is there would be times where some people would overstep. So let me give you an example. As a social worker, um, we had teachers that would call us all the time, right? And reporting the family. Let me be honest. So I'm going to tell you, being homeless is not an offense in which we just automatically take kids away and move them to another place. Mm -hmm. If that parent is working hard and trying or whatever the case is, that child stays in the home, stays with that parent, even if they are in shelters or whatever the case that is. still may be the best place for them to be with their parents. Right. right. I mean, it's a case. That's why it's a case by case basis. And that's mm-hmm. why we investigate everything as social workers or CPS or, you know, the people that you call. Right. That Your job is to just make the report anonymously or whatever. You are a mandated reporter. So you got to do what you need to do if you feel a child is being harmed. What we're what I'm talking about is before you try to be you know, Michelle Pfeiffer and like going up, to, <laughs> going up in the people's neighborhood, store, right? Yeah. Is, is if you, if we actually did and built schools in the way that they should be built in the first place, mm, come on, these things wouldn't be exacerbated whether a child is homeless or not, whether a child is atypical uh, mentally or having other type of issues, if a child is well fed or not. Like, we are trying to look at stuff and make these like claims and put on white hats 
you know, and, and, and talk about what we need to do when all you should be doing in the first place is making this a place that is welcoming to children and families. And that would change so much. It would change so much for people. Charles, do we have mandated reporters or mandatory reporters when kids can't read? <laughs> That's a different show. Brief, 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 uh, I'm just, just, so I'm just asking for a friend, bro. I'm just asking for a friend. So, you so know, brief. Put your social work hat on and, and follow uh, the follow the line with Charles. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I mean, what I would say is that as you know, as a principal, you know, we. I think every school. Can you hear me? Touch your camera just a little bit because we keep cutting you off. Cause you at the bottom of your perfect brother. Thank you. There it is. I mean, I, I think this is part yeah. of the, yeah, people have to prioritize, uh, you know, the support. I, I, one thing I think teachers, you know, and I, I chimed in, they sometimes, you know, educators, and I don't want to just put this on teachers, uh, you know, ignore cues, you know? Uh, but I also think that there should be someone in, in addition inside of every school that's helping to drive and make sure that things are going on. I think that folks, sometimes it was a, be a pastor, you know, uh, you know, Reverend Damon Jones, who was at, uh, you know, uh, Bible way church would come in and say, Hey, I have somebody in my congregation that needs additional support. Right. The family is a little embarrassed to say something. They, they uh, gave me authority to come out and, and say something. So sometimes it's the, it may not be a social worker, maybe adjacent to the school, faith-based institutions, community centers, all of that I think is, is really important. But I, you know, I go back to saying like schools that don't have counselors and social workers and expect uh, a teacher to, catch everything and do everything and analyze data for their literature. You know, Chris talked about like, you know, they're, you know, whether they can read or not. So they're trying to do that, analyze data, call, you know, uh, deal with homework, build relationships, all this and expect to be, you know, the social worker. And a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I do this and that. Like a school should also have that additional support within the school. And I just, I, like, as I said, I never worked in a school without one. And so I don't understand how to happen. I had to make hard decisions. It wasn't like, oh, we just had, had money. Like I told you before, the governor, the previous governor cut one billion dollars out of the budget across our state that for my school, that was one million dollars that I lost mm. in our budget. One million dollars. So I just want to give context of how tough the decisions were. And I said, you know what? And the team said it wasn't just me. Like we could not be without our social worker. But Sharif, we, we, we always talk about teachers and we're talking about teachers in this program, too. But kind of when you were just talking, I was thinking about principals like mm -hmm. How, exactly. how much? Because you, you just named all these things teachers are supposed to do. We think teachers are supposed to do, and it sounds like a lot. It sounds like too much. Mm -hmm. Like my my fancy quip about reading, yeah. it's kind of hard to get to if you are doing all these other jobs. So where's the yeah. principal in all this? I mean, the, the principal is supposed to be the leader, right? And a lot of times people say the instructional leader, like is the culture leader, the instructional leader, the support leader. Like that culture, as we talked about a few times, is. How are we welcoming students? How are we building relationships? How, what level of respect do we extend to them and their families? And so I think principals are our leader. All of this stuff influences, you know, what happens. And I think the principal well, is primarily I'm responsible about a, for that. With a different question too, though, what are the principals doing to support the teachers? Oh, I mean, you're doing, you, first like, of all, what are you doing? Because if your teacher doesn't have some things, I think that falls back on you, right? Like as a principal. Well, the first thing you should be doing is you should be modeling for teachers. Like, so when I was a principal, one of my things was, one of my big things was the fact that I would never ask anybody to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. So if I'm walking around and I'm picking up paper, you know, for example, if I'm walking around and I'm picking up paper and, and you can see me doing it, then that means that it's okay for you to do it as well. Same thing with making sure that kids have a cleanly environment. Like I would go in and scrub desks and do all this other stuff. I, I learned that when I was a teacher, matter of fact, because one of the things that my custodian, my custodian at the time in Baltimore City Public Schools, what he, what he, what he said was, he was like, Ankle, I don't have a problem with coming in and cleaning your class. And I was like, well, why? He was like, because you clean it yourself. And so the fact that I was willing to put in the work, you know, made it less easy for him, but then put put him put me in the forefront of his thoughts because I helped him do his job. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when, when it comes down to being a principal, like one of the things you can't do is you can never forget your experiences in the classroom because you always have to be able to empathize with teachers. But you also have to be able to make tough decisions mm -hmm. all the time. Right. And like you can't you know, it's like, it's, it's like one of those things to where it's like. 
you can't be you you don't have any friends when you're a principal and you shouldn't want any friends when you take that position like you know you got to make hard decisions i has, and, i still had friends with my hard decisions why you got to be so grumpy why you got to be know. grumpy i ain't no friends no friends all enemies i'm doing this work i'm putting it nah, in man, what kind of educational I had, I had camp friends. are you running bro I had, a, I had a good time i had friends and we made <laughs> tough decisions but i think in addition to what ray said as far as modeling i think the professional development is a part of it you can't assume that teachers are, are equipped uh, to work with students. Matter of fact, all the research, when they ask teachers, they say, I'm not ready to teach um, students in poverty, are. right? And so the professional development that's provided, the support that's provided, have making sure that, you know, folks had, whether with some years we had city year, where we had the funding, we had city year as additional support, we might have additional uh, classroom assistance. We had a different ways that we were layering support in the schools to support um, the teacher, the students, as well as the families. And so our social worker would get interns from Smith College, from University mm-hmm. of Penn, from mm-hmm. some of the yeah. other schools, right? Like, right. And, the, and they would also extend the support, right? They would have groups. When we had uh, we had students from the, you mentioned before, the LGBTQ uh, students are highest in suicide, highest in homeless rate, highest in a lot of, uh, you know, these issues, dropout rates and things like that. So that was something that we had to talk about and, and, and address and people who were not aware of this, we had to bring it to the forefront. Right. And so these are things people have to have these conversations. But in addition to that conversation about homelessness, we also have to constantly have conversation about race, class and privilege. Because you have to interrogate that because a lot of these teachers came from middle class backgrounds. And so they may not understand or maybe they escaped from that that situation. They want to forget about it or they've forgotten about it. So all of that, the professional development and the conversations is crucial. That collective accountability. Yeah. Reef, can I just say that now that you've adjusted your camera, your points hit harder. I just wanted to let you know. Um, <laughs> I don't understand what the issue was. We got we to we gotta circle back to this David McGuire question. Okay, let's do that right. and then have a comment after that. <laughs> How can you talk? How, how can you talk with parents who? And this is a, this is a social. I'm gonna I'm let the social workers, the former social workers, take this question. Um, how can you talk with parents who who child comes to school and it says that they're homeless? Uh, he's still learning about the approach, and he's trying to do it respectfully and to respect their privacy. So, what are your yeah. suggestions? So, so, the good thing is, is that there's not a lot of thinking that actually has a go in this because you're mandated about what you need to do if a child is unsafe. You have to fill out a report um, as a mandated report. You can do it anonymously, or you can put your name on it. Um, and so that's step one, right? And then an investigation will happen. Step two of that, though, is to like you know. Depend on what your relationship is with that family, you would have different kind of conversations. One, if you don't have a relationship, it's going to be pretty tough. Right. But if you've been investing in building relationships along the way, you might be able to help with the brainstorming piece in that. But I want to be very clear because Chris said this earlier. Right. It's very difficult for us to focus and hold uh, teachers accountable for making sure kids can read if they're trying to be a social worker. Like I, it took a long time for me to become a social worker and even longer to become a good one. So, you know, I don't expect somebody who needs to learn their curriculum in a system that's failing kids where only three out of 10 black kids can read to also be able to do that job that took a long time to do. Part of this also is a community failure. So, you know, we talk about the eight million black kids, right? Yeah. Having your eye on anybody that gets tax relief to serve a community. And what does that mean? Mm -hmm. That means that that Boys and Girls Club stepped up and what they provided and the trust they provided me with, that school couldn't have provided to me in a million years, right? The way that churches used to step in and be the go-between, whether it was a Christian church, a Muslim, a mosque, I mean, a mosque or a Jew, whatever the case is, right? Mm-hmm. There was a time, like, so part of the thing that you can do as a school leader or with social workers or whomever is you can power map your community. Who do we have here? Who's actually equipped to do this stuff? That's actually, that's where the onus on you is, right? That can happen in a PD. That can happen from a principal taking leadership, or that can happen in the community meetings that should be happening between school leaders and educators, religious organizations, CBOs. This is the team of people that the United States government has said, you don't have to pay taxes because we expect you to take care of your community. As long as... Well, no, 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 no. That's not why churches don't pay taxes. I'm part of it, right? <laughs> that's the, No, that's not why churches... I'm just going to stop right there. The Christian... Wait, wait, it's a huge... The government don't expect me as a Christian to do something. In exchange for money. Come on now. What I'm saying is, as a social worker, part of our biggest ally in most of those communities were were church, uh, were religious institutions, right? I agree with that. So what I'm saying is, as a consumer, as as a general just just pedestrian, right? As Mm -hmm. a general civilian, 
What I'm saying is, is that anybody that gets that tax relief in that type of way, I would be looking at and asking. That don't mean they're gonna say yes. That don't mean they're gonna be a good partner. But you don't know what they're gonna do if you've never stepped out of that school and actually went and met those people. That's the point that I'm saying. But here's the thing, right? Some of us like to be martyrs. Some of us like to feel like we're the only people that can do some shit when we ain't did the shit we supposed to be able to do well enough anyway. But now you want to take mm-hmm. on five other things, right? Mm-hmm. So build some community. Build out a village, right? Like, don't just say it takes a village to raise a child. Actually build a fucking village. You know what I'm saying? And then a lot of this stuff, man, it helps when you got partners that you can, like, work with and that can counsel you and y'all can work together. That That's the only way you're going to change this stuff. I'm telling you. You can keep trying to go at it alone and bang your head up against the wall and go to the bar and drink yourself silly and be a martyr and kill yourself, but kids still going to be fucked up and can't read. Well, I don't think people Clinton are going to be a martyr. that said that, right? I'm sorry. He said said Hillary Clinton is the one that said that first. Um, I don't think people, Charles, I don't think people are going to become a martyr. I think they're just going to burn out and they're just not going to care anymore. Because it's it's not. It's a martyr, though. Well, no, I think the martyr is the one who stays and keeps complaining. Who says, oh, my God, I got it so bad. You you know, people don't respect me as a teacher and whatnot. Uh, a martyr is a person who stays and dies. Right. You know, but but other people just give up and go away. I say this isn't for me and not do anything. You have said it a million times. You're on your own. Absolutely. Black parents, you're on your own. So we've just been talking all this time in this entire conversation about what teachers should do what classrooms should do, what schools should do, what school leaders should do. Directly to David's point, I would say one of the things, having come out of social services myself, was very frustrating working with schools and school leaders. It was like they were living on a different planet than us sometimes. So I'd say if you were a principal who was interested in homelessness, uh, form a bond or a partnership directly with somebody who in a community is working with that. No bank shots going around other people, whatnot. Work with the shelters, work with the people directly and form a relationship directly with them because it's very frustrating if you're in social services working with schools sometimes. Very, very frustrating. But anyways, my main point was just this. Um, there's this other thing called the family, there's the neighborhood, <laughs> the community. We're not going to do this. I'm just family. telling you, like, not, like if you're on your own, if someone is telling you week after week you're village. on your own, yeah, if someone's telling you week after week you're on your own and you keep expecting PD to change the way that schools take care of our issues for us, our yeah, social you, issues when they can't even teach us to read or do math. Now we're expecting them to fix our lives in ways that has never worked. This right? is not what this is about. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, you know, I don't know. I would, I, would I don't say, know. I would say question. like, you know, families, to... families who we saw, families uh, matter. It, it was because, you know, one, we, we had a partnership, we had relationships and we had a dope team at, at, you know, at Shoemaker. And I know our network as a whole, we invest in social workers and, and the SEL uh, uh, issues. But I, I do agree like that whole village thing. Like I don't, I don't share this often, but I left home when I was 15. But I wasn't homeless because I was able to, I went to my great grandmother's house mm-hmm. and that's where I was, mm-hmm. right? And so like that was still like this whole part of the village. Like there was from 15 till I graduated the next year, like I had, I had stability. I had someone that, you know, someone there, at least a house, you know, in my head and my family could still know that I was in a safe space. Things mm-hmm. were okay. And I was still able to, you know, finish school and graduate. Right. That's not afforded to a lot of folks. We, we've had a ton of students that we had to provide support for that were, you know, uh, in shelters on their own because families were not allowed them back in. And we had to help get them stable housing throughout all of that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a complicated issue and it's from all different angles, but that's why I say like schools and communities need people to, who are focusing on these kind of, uh, you know, mitigating circumstances to address. Charles, we got a question. Please uh, address and answer the question, sir. Yeah. So Marilyn asked, uh, what about mandated reports that are not reporting? How do we address that? So one, well, you turn report them. Yeah. And so and there are really there there are very stiff consequences for uh, mandated reporters that don't report. Um, They become they can become partially liable. They open themselves up to be sued. Uh, They open themselves up to be able to lose whatever license they might hold as a mandated reporter. Um, I mean, it's it's a really this is why there's that's this is why we say over report. Right. Because the majority of things that get reported are unfounded. We don't we, you know what I'm saying? We do what we need to do and we kind of move on. Uh, but let's say you knew about something. We do a, We do a review and it comes up that you knew and you didn't say anything. Then you are now dragged into whatever um, issue. What, what 
you can be liable. Harsh consequences that can happen if you are mandated reporting, you don't report. Yeah, absolutely. You're liable for the safety of children. That's number one. The safety of a child is the number one thing. And then you can educate a child that is safe. If you are part of them being in danger, like, nah, that's uh, that's problematic. And so you also need those checks and balances within the school. Like, yeah. so we had everybody, no matter what you saw something, you had to tell the social worker, your direct supervisor, as well as myself, right? right. Like you had to do that. And part of that's not your issue to like deal with, right? Like if you are struggling and like, yo, do I report this? Do I not report this? Then you report it, right? Like these are professionals that you're reporting to. There's a very strict code that they have to go through when they're doing this check off and doing safety checks, right? Like, so the good thing about being a social worker is that, and I think this should kind of happen in teaching a little bit more, is that so many of our decisions are already made for us because we have to follow standards and procedures, like everything down to how we check water temperature, right? So um, d- don't carry that weight. And, and and if you're not sure if you should report something, talk to your supervisor and make the report. And, and if it's unfounded, it'll, it'll do what it needs to do, right? So, but if you know somebody that's not reporting, report they ask. So I'm getting to this last question because I think that it's important. All right, how are grading policies uh, taken into account the real hardships of poor families, but especially homeless families. So we've been seeing a lot <laughs> with regards to these grade po- grading policies. Uh, some people are just handing out A's. Um, you know, what, what, what are your thoughts, Reef? Start with you. I mean, I you know, we talked before. I, I disagree with the just handing out A's. Uh, I think you know, like anything else, you know, people have to investigate and see what's going on. A lot of schools are um, districts are not giving grades at all. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think some of the numbers of 40 percent of students are not chimed in. We talked before, if you didn't have relationships and some students are like, I didn't like school brick and mortar. Why would I now, you know, what I mean, from a distance, like I'm actually enjoying this distance because yeah. that was the bane of my existence. So now I'm, I'm appreciating this distance. Others are, you know, like, hey, you know what? I like this. This works better for me. So I think it's a whole continuum. So it's hard to just say one thing for for everybody. But I would say overall that you have to look and see how are you supporting are the supports in place? I always look at uh, the adults and the systems that we have in place first. Are they supportive? Are they detrimental to um, engaging students? If it's individual, then you can check in and find out, like, how can we better serve? How can we support? You know, like, so I, I think it's an individual basis, but grading policies, you know, what we talked about before, you can't just end up failing everybody and you can't just give up straight A's across the board, you know? Um, so. Yeah. And um, uh, Ms. Johnson brings up an excellent point about wanting to talk about assessment before talking about grading. I think that's the most important point because it doesn't have to just be grades. It doesn't have to just be testing or test or the way we've done things before. But we do have to keep track of where students are. Right. Like the last thing we need this to be is like a data holiday, like a data vacation, um, because that's going to hurt us in the future. I say that knowing that this is a country that still doesn't know how to test all of its people for COVID. So like I'm saying at the same time, we should be trying to keep up where we're with where kids really are, you know, through whatever, whatever platform we're using, like keep up with them, whether it's a grade assessment or even just if they're on something like Khan Academy, where it tells you about progress or lack of progress. Right. That will be helpful to us in the future. Chris, you know what's about to happen, bro. <laughs> just like I, I predicted that there was going to be a mad push to cancel uh, standardized testing mm-hmm. for, the, for the spring. You best believe next year is going to be the same push. And the the argument or the question is going to be, well, we missed a whole however many months. So there's no way to fairly assess these kids with the amount of learning that they lost. So, I mean, you could, that, that's so crazy to me. You can assess kids no matter, are we going to stop weighing babies for birth weight? Because we, we just expect more of them will be lighter for the next year. Are we going to stop testing for like certain, th- all other things just because we're in an epidemic? We're not going to stop weighing babies. Like, like, it makes no sense to me. It's Isn't ridiculous. that the same thing, though? The point is, is that that's a comment of people making decisions about other people's kids. Yep. Like, that's some easy shit to say when you're talking about other people's kids. When you're talking about your own kids, you still want to know what your kid is, right? Absolutely. You still want to know how your kids operate? 
I mean, you and want so, the, anything that tests them for any type of health or or any type of development of any sort to say, no, I don't want to know. Listen, bro. It's like, weird. When, when when better with, in the first few years of life, we use this thing called a help chart. We don't not do the help chart to see if the child is growing the way they're supposed to grow because shit is going on. Like we still do that so we can catch things early so we can like make sure that like, you know, early detection is always one of the best ways to to get rid of some stuff, right? And and that the same is true for schools. But we keep having these conversations and like, like, like these schools care about you. Like this system is built for you to like be good. Like even as we read in this book, Education of Blacks in the South, like you, they, they get that notion out your mind real quick. Whatever you thought this was, erase that shit. It ain't about, right. it was about the keeping and maintaining the economics of the United States and what that looked like. It That's ain't right. changed. That's it right. has not changed. That's right. Yeah. I don't trust anybody who tells us to stop counting anything. You never stop counting. It's a world of math. I need to know the numbers. I need to hey, know where people are in life. Don't, right? Don't got your money in the bank right now, Chris. It's COVID. Stop counting yeah. interest. We're gonna not count interest right now for yeah. a year. We're just not gonna count interest. You know? I mean, but but it goes back to what you said, like mandatory reporters when kids aren't learning. Like some of these many, and I'm not gonna say some. There are many situations where kids are assessed. It doesn't change anything about the practice. All right. Right. Like, so folks are testing. We already know, like, hey, kids aren't learning. And guess what? The next year, kids aren't learning. K through 12, you know what? Kids aren't learning. Like those assessments are supposed to be used to inform practice, to change things within the school, to actually change things dynamically. What interventions are we using? There are plenty of folks who who one don't want the standardized assessment and they don't know how to assess themselves. Right. And so like there's literally nothing going on. And yeah. you brought this up earlier, like when I when I first went to uh, to one of the schools that we were leading, teachers were assessing kids every Friday, all day, every teacher all day, an hour long assessment, just like so now we don't have instruction Monday, only instruction Monday through Thursday. And what do you do with the Friday? Is it changing something on Monday? And it wasn't right. And so then we said, hey. We need less of that assessment. If you are going to assess, it shouldn't be longer than 15, 20 minutes. And you need to figure out how to use it. And we're going to leave PD and train you on how to use assessing. Because the assessment can't wait to the end of the year. If we, if you do, it's too late anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't rock with you, man. They don't rock with you. They don't care. Like, there should be quarterly. So so the, the end of the year test should never be the predictor. There should be quarterly tests that you're doing with your students, quarterly assessments that you're doing to where you know exactly where your students are. At my school, by the time they are ready to take the state test, we already know what they're going to get on the state test based off the fact that. All right. So opt out then. You already know. I mean, we <laughs> not doing that. Well, opt out. So, so here, here's, here's, my, here's, my, here's my thing. Here's, here's my here's my here's my thing for school. For school we gonna leaders. go two hours. Here's my thing for school leaders and especially for the black bougie. If you are running schools, run those schools the way in which you teach your own kids at home. The same expectations that you have for your kids at home are the same expectations that you should have for those students that are in schools. And a lot of us, we don't do that. We don't drink the same. We don't drink the same water. It's like we have expectations for our kids at home, but then when we get to school, we try to dumb shit down. Homes you know? I don't been. I don't. I don't. You know, I, I agree with you for the most part, but I don't see some hippies, bro. I don't been to some homes where I'm like, oh, no, no, no. As Chris, as Chris would say, yeah, our kids probably shouldn't go to school together. <laughs> it's stuff that I don't see, and I'm like, ooh. We are not all meant to go to school together. There's another show that's maybe the Patreon. Hey, don't check your mileage because it's COVID. I'm not going to change your oil, okay? (laughs) It's COVID. Let's let's, let's start these final thoughts. Reef, we'll start with you. I mean, this was about the homelessness, and and we're talking about it because it's even, you know, um, more uh, problematic because of, you know, uh, the pandemic. And people trying to deal with this uh, this COVID-19 while they're dealing with all the stressors of either being homeless or being uh, close to it. And so I I think, you know, this whole idea of community based uh, problem solving, community based interventions, I think is is paramount, uh, both for something like this as well as ongoing. What I'm most nervous about is is we're going to come up with solutions that are really for middle-class families. Like that's what I, I'm, I'm nervous about that, that it ends up being with folks with 
two household, two uh, parents in the household, middle class income, and not think about other children that are going to struggle and continue to struggle because of just how the system is is uh, is weighted against them. Mm. Chris, I like where we landed with just numbers and talking about keeping account, knowing where kids are, don't lose track of them, don't let them fall behind, know how many are in the different, you know, on the continuum of learning and not learning, know where they are, because uh, I don't trust anything when you you just don't have good numbers about where people are. Um, I think about the homelessness thing is different. It's just a, it's a simple point. And if you have something to give, now is the time to give it. Um, Many of us have been blessed in many different ways and everybody has something to give, but I do know that social service agencies, groups that work with kids or whatnot, they, they live on resources. They thrive on resources. And just like people think schools never have enough resources, the people that are actually helping to support families and communities even have that even worse than schools do. Like trying to do a million dollar job, you know, with a, with a dollar, you know, it's just, um, so it, it, I know I've changed my giving decisions for this year. And that's all I can say to folks is if you have something to give, now is the time to do it. If you have a, a home to open, now is the time to do it. If you have, you know, money, time, whatever. Um, I don't think government's going to do it alone. I don't think government's going to save you. Oh, yeah, man. Um, yeah. And, you know, like we were saying, like, don't check nothing during COVID. Like, you don't need to check nothing and just give everybody A's and all that shit. Um, so I think for me, man, um, look, I, I, I'll tie this in with teacher week. Right. Like the one teacher that actually like really changed my life was Mr. Brown. And I had him while I was homeless and he knew my situation. And he told me, I don't care. I, it does, I don't care about your situation. You can be better than this. And I'm not going to let you act the ass just because of that situation, because of your situation, I'm going to go even harder on you. And that dude was one of the best teachers I ever had. And what I'm saying is, listen, we just sent, doctors to New York, right? Because we couldn't stop them from going because they're doctors. It is in them to fix sick people. And when you get good teachers, it is in them to teach. You can't stop them from doing it. So if I have to negotiate with you around how you teach kids, whether they're homeless or not, whether it's COVID or not, whether any of these things, then I question if you real into what you say that you do. And I'm, and I'm just saying that as I was blessed to have somebody that didn't give a fuck what I was, he cared about what I was going through. And because of that, he made sure I was very prepared for the world. And he was the first person to tell me that we was on our own and he was going to scoop me up and make sure I got what I needed. So Mr. Brown, I thank you. Uh, and I wouldn't be here without you. And uh, thank you for not going soft on me and making yourself feel better, but doing the job that needed to be done. Mm. So if the FCC is listening, we're probably going to get censored because that's the 18th curse word that you said during the show. Listen, if you're more offended by my words than the fact that black kids can't read or write, then we got to do this. I've heard this before. I'm going to say it every time you say that. I I don't want them reading that word. (laughs) (laughs) I want them to read something worthwhile, bro. So I'm going to close it out (laughs) if, if, if I can. And I, Go ahead, man. Go ahead. Yeah. Do your thing. Close it out. <laughs> Close it out. Uh, this, is, this is only going to get worse. Um, so uh, for, your, for those educators that are listening to the show, keep your eyes on the students. Look for the signs and address things with your heart and your sinew. This has been the Eight Black Hands podcast. Um, yeah, we're out. Peace. <laughs> That's the end. <laughs> I guess we done. All right. I'm going to switch in broadcast. Y'all have a good day. <laughs> you have been listening to the Eight Black Hands podcast with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stuart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at 8BlackHands1. Thank you for listening.